Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. You know, it's funny the things that you miss. Moving to Ecuador, we had to get rid of a lot of our stuff, well, most of our stuff, and really pared down. One of the things I miss the most, which is weird, is my favorite coffee mug. I think everyone has one. (laughs) Everybody has a favorite coffee mug. Oh, for sure. And uh, that didn't make the cut. No. And you know, what's really funny is I, I think your favorite coffee mug probably wasn't even one of our mugs. Oh, you're talking about the diner we went to. Yeah. Those were great because the, their coffee mugs were square on yeah. the outside, but round on the inside. I love that aesthetic. <laughs> this is a, a diner that we frequented before we moved to Florida. And then after we moved to Florida and you always freaked out about their mugs and how you love their mugs. And I have to tell you, I tried the entire time that we lived in Florida. I tried to get you some of those mugs. You did? I thought, I thought that it would be like a really nice first Christmas present, you know, in Florida. Look, I got you some. So it was like around Thanksgiving and I went to one of their locations and I was like, hey, I'd like to buy some of these mugs from you. But of course, they were still recovering from like COVID situation. And so they weren't getting new stuff all the time. And they were like, yeah, we really can't spare any, but we'll let you know. And I waited months and then I called back and I was like, hey, I haven't heard anything about the mugs. And they're like, yeah, we still haven't gotten any. I was like, all right. So like a couple months later, I went to a different location that had the same mugs. And I was like, how do I get some of these mugs? And the server there was like, you could just put some in your purse. (laughs) What? And I wouldn't say anything. (laughs) That's what she, I can't sell you any, but. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead and steal some. I'll look the other way. And I was like, I really, I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. (laughs) But if you could let me know when I can buy some. And she was like, all right. (laughs) Wow. But yeah, no, I never got any. Wow. It was a real bummer. (laughs) Couldn't you have like found out where they got theirs? Oh, uh, I did. You did? Um, Yeah. And I searched the entire of the internet. And the only way that I could buy them was in bulk. And I thought you might get suspicious if a pallet of mugs arrived at our apartment. (laughs) So... (laughs) 
That, well, I, I appreciate Gosh, you really do love me. <laughs> not not enough to steal my favorite coffee mugs. But no, no, no but, not okay. that much. Oh, God, no. <laughs> well, we've been doing a lot of research about museums around the world. We're working on a new project. We're not going to get into it. But I was looking into the British Museum. And if I did the object search correctly... In the British Museum, in room 55, labeled Mesopotamia, 1500 to 539 BCE, you'll find items displayed from Babylonia under the Kassites and follows the growth of the Babylonian state and empire until it was taken over by the Persian king Cyrus in 539 BCE. In this room, you will find a small, unassuming tablet. It's about 11.6 centimeters high, 5 centimeters wide, and 2.6 centimeters thick. So an ancient post-it note. Ever so slightly larger. It shows obvious signs of wear, as it would. <laughs> well, yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> it was discovered in the Sumerian city of Ur. The city of Ur, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing, but it's two letters and it's hard. Anyway, it's located in modern-day Iraq. It was excavated in the early 20th century, largely by British archaeologist Sir Leonard Woolley. Now, in 1922, a joint expedition of the British Museum and the University of Pennsylvania Museum went to Ur, and this excavation was inaugurated with Leonard Woolley chosen as field director. This city was an important city-state in ancient Mesopotamia. It held significance in Sumerian history, and it was originally situated as a coastal city in the mouth of the Euphrates on the Persian Gulf. The city dates back to around 3800 BCE, and by the 26th century BCE, it had become a recognized city-state. Remains of the city can be found inland on the south bank of the Euphrates in modern-day Iraq, and it's widely believed to be the city referred to as Ur-Kasdim in the book of Genesis, where the biblical figure Abraham is said to have been born. Despite some differing opinions, of course, as there will be, it's mentioned four times in the Torah or the Old Testament. What's really cool about this city-state is we've talked about it before, because during its peak from approximately 2030 to 1980 BCE, it held the distinction of being the largest city in the world, with an estimated population of around 65,000 inhabitants. Yeah, that was a good-sized town back in those days. Yeah, it was hip. It was moving and shaking. As the youngsters say. Yeah. So this tablet contains a series of complaints made by a person named Nani, who was a merchant from the city of Ur. And the complaints were made to a copper merchant named Anasira. Is this an ancient Mesopotamian Karen? Did they want to talk to the manager? You might think so at first, but we'll get there. Okay. The complaints are written in cuneiform or cuneiform. I've heard it both ways. <laughs> the ancient writing system, which was created by the Sumerians. 
It was actually one of the earliest ways that people expressed themselves through writing. They used a blunt reed, like a stylus, kind of, to make wedge-shaped marks on damp clay tablets. And then the clay tablets were hardened by baking. And this was like the first form of writing that we know of, correct? It was one of the earliest ways that people expressed themselves through writing. The word comes from Latin and means wedge. So the the item used to make the marks were, you know, where we're going here. Anyway, it originated around the late 4th millennium BCE and started off as a series of pictograms where the symbols would represent different things. And then eventually it was made more and more concise so that these wedges were used to represent the thoughts and expressions. Eventually, the original Sumerian script was adapted to write the Akkadian language, spelled very differently than the Akkadian that I am familiar with. (laughs) It's interesting. However, as the Neo-Assyrian Empire rose to power from 911 to 612 BCE, cuneiform began to be replaced by the Phoenician alphabet. And over time, by the 2nd century BCE, the use of cuneiform completely disappeared, and the knowledge of how to read and interpret it was completely lost. Thanks, Phoenicians. (laughs) It wasn't until the early 19th century that it began to be able to be deciphered again. So, in 1954, A. Leo Oppenheim... Wait, A. Leo Oppenheim... I've heard it both ways. (laughs) um, He did some translation work on the lines of the tablet and published an article about it in the Journal of the American Oriental Society. And then, in 1960, W.F. Lehmans came along, and he made an English translation of the tablet. Lehmans used some of the original translations and also got some insights from Fritz Rudolf Krauss regarding the meaning of a few lines. So it was a collaborative effort in bringing the tablet's contents into English. So when this tablet was unearthed and eventually deciphered, we found out that the writer, Nani, was dissatisfied with the quality of the copper ingots that he had purchased from Anasira. And he wrote a strongly worded letter expressing his frustration. In the letter, Nani criticized Anasira for delivering substandard copper and accused him of dishonesty and unethical business practices. He also mentioned that he had previously traded with Anasera's father and expected better treatment from him. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Some things never change. This is the oldest complaint letter known to man. <laughs> Literally. It has been recognized by the Guinness World Records as the oldest customer complaint. But it isn't the only one. Other tablets were found in the same space, believed to have been Anasera's home. Oh, so there's a pattern here. See, it's not that Nani was a Karen. It's maybe something else is going on here. It's, it's weird to me that this guy, it seems anyway, was getting a lot of complaints mm-hmm. and kept the correspondence. I wonder how he would feel to know that the only reason we know he exists <laughs> now, thousands and thousands of years later, is because of his sub-quality copper ingots. 
<laughs> Another letter found was from a man named Arbiturum, who expressed his dissatisfaction with the transaction. He complained that he had not yet received the copper that he had ordered, indicating a delay or a failure in the delay of promised goods. In another letter, a different individual expressed frustration with the quality of the copper he received. This complaint suggests that Anasira's copper might have been of subpar quality and not that maybe he had delivered the wrong quality, but that he was delivering shitty copper. Obviously, there is a trend here. So these tablets show us that Anisera may not have been the best businessman, but it also showcases the importance of trade and commerce in this region and that he was making enough sales to have this many complaint tablets that remain to this day. Yeah, but it sounds like maybe he inherited the business from his dad Mm -hmm. and then just fucked it up. (laughs) This is an age-old story. Yes, it is. This also highlights the existence of a formalized system for addressing consumer grievances and shows that as far back as time goes, there have been the same stories. It just took a bit more effort than writing a Yelp review. (laughs) Big thanks, by the way, to Laura, who sent me this with the note, you know about Anasir and his ancient shitty copper, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, I did not. Mm. And I was happy to do some reading about it. Thanks so much, Laura. I got most of my information from Penn Museum's Expedition Magazine, joyofmuseums.com, Guinness Book, and britishmuseum.org. I love stuff like that. It's a direct (laughs) connection to the past. It's a message that was left for us thousands of years ago. Maybe maybe not intended for us to see, but but we still got to. It reminds me of the graffiti that was uh, unearthed Mm. in uh, Rome. Stuff that had been written in ancient Rome, like on the walls of a brothel. I think we did a thing in the middle about it once. Yeah. One found at a bar of Ithaca said, I screwed the barmaid. (laughs) And there was another one. It was like in the brothel and it just said something like, Maximus is a big farter. (laughs) I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light 
You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. See, things don't change that much. Nope. Some messages are universal. And now, that thing in the middle. Happy Halloween month. Yes, here we are. They don't do much celebrating of, of Halloween here in Ecuador. They really but don't. the Christmas decorations are up already. It's true. They take that seriously. I'm still focused on Halloween, though. And so for today's thing in the middle, the top five horror movie locations that you can actually visit. Ooh. Number five, I've actually been here. The cemetery from Night of the Living Dead. You've been there? I've been there, yeah. Where the famous line was uttered, They're coming for you, Barbara. <laughs> and also the uh, sheriff, when he's being interviewed by the press about the zombies, yeah. his line is, They're dead. They're all messed up. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Evans City Cemetery, which is about 30 miles outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Amazing. Number four, The Lighthouse from John Carpenter's The Fog. It's where KAB radio DJ Stevie Wayne works. Stevie Wayne, played by Adrian Barbeau, if I'm remembering correctly. (laughs) Number three, Louis Plantation from Interview with a Vampire. Something very naturally creepy about New Orleans. No disrespect, it's a beautiful city, but... There's just so many dark legends. Yeah. Number two, the gas station from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's still standing. It's in Bastrop, Texas. Is it operating or is it just a uh, an abandoned building? Uh, it's been converted into a barbecue restaurant called the gas station. <laughs> I wonder if it's themed. It must be themed. I don't know. Like they cut up the meat with a chainsaw. <laughs> if not, they are missing a real opportunity. They certainly are. The Scottish Castle from The Wicker Man. The bees! Oh my god. You can visit the castle from April till the end of October. Well, clearly the end of October would be the best time to go. I always thought that the lord from that movie looked like Eric Idle. You're right. I never thought about that. (laughs) 
kind of half expect him to go. Is she a gawa, eh? <laughs> we love getting emails from you, curator at theboxofoddities.com. And we have got so many of them. Uh, Halloween season, of course, is upon us. And uh, I'm in the process now of constructing a folder with all of the stories that have been sent so that Kat can edit them and we can uh, produce our Halloween special. So excited. Got this email. I know y'all don't own a car anymore. Oh, (laughs) thanks for bringing it up. I miss you, Daria. (laughs) I was listening to episode 280 about Angela going over the cliff Mm. and she had the tool to break out the window. Yep. The cool thing is we always have a tool to break out the window. We do. This is this is a, a, a great tip. The headrest is removable for the prime reason of breaking out windows. In all cars? I guess most modern ones. Okay, my blah blah is done. You're all awesome. Flying my freak flag. This is unsigned. My apologies for not mentioning your name. I, I could mention your email, but you probably wouldn't like that. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Now, I have a question for you. You, you do? What you got for me? What, what, you, what, what, you, what you got for me? What, 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 what you got for me? So is this your not-so-subtle way of telling me it's my turn? Yeah. Okay. This is a topic I have uh, thought about doing for a while, and I saved it for this time of year because it's kind of, it's definitely paranormal. It's spooky, um, but it encompasses so many different topics. I'm talking about Mount Shasta, the mystical mysteries surrounding Mount Shasta in the Pacific Northwest in the U.S., Nestled in Northern California, Mount Shasta is breathtaking. It's a huge mountain. When you stand at its base and you look up, it looks like it's just piercing the sky. Plus, it's fun to say, Shasta. Sounds refreshing. Well, that's, I guess, obviously why I feel that way. It's Shasta beverages. Do they still make Shasta? What is Shasta? It's a soda or a pop, depending upon what part of the country you come from. 
Is it orange flavored? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. I vaguely remember something about that. Well, now I've got to look it up. Yeah, Shasta is still available. Wow. Yeah. It's an American soft drink manufacturer, considered a value-priced soft drink line, which is probably why I drank it a lot as a kid. It was founded in 1889. Okay, that's all the information you're going to get about the Shasta soft drink company, because that's not the point. Shastapop.com is the website. So getting back to Mount Shasta, for centuries this land has been held as sacred by the native peoples. They have stories of spirits and mysteries about Mount Shasta that go back for centuries. But it's not just a tale from the past. Even today, people from all corners of the globe journey to Mount Shasta for various reasons, whether it's the stories of the Lemurian civilization, uh, UFO sightings, unexplained telepathic events. I hate to do this again, but What's that? What's the Lemurian civilization? Lemurian civilization. What is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're legendary beings believed to be part of an ancient and highly advanced civilization that, according to folklore, once inhabited the lost continent of Lemuria. Now, Lemuria was allegedly uh, positioned in the Pacific Ocean. So like the Pacific's Atlantis. Exactly right. Got it. And these beings are often depicted as tall, ethereal figures. They, according to legend, evolved to a point of consciousness. I'm sorry, I have another question. So are you saying that they evolved into just consciousness? Yes. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. Yeah, and they inhabited um, stones and earth and trees and things of this nature. Okay. Then a giant cataclysmic event wiped out Lemuria, and Mount Shasta was one of the only surviving areas above water at the time. And the legend is that they now reside in the rocks, the soil, and the in the uh, the mountain itself, but can materialize and be seen by human eyes. Okay. People claim to have encountered them or even felt their presence during visits to the mountain. And the mountain is full of caves and uh, underground passageways. So it's not uh, it's not hard to imagine that uh, something something's going on down there. Whether it's highly advanced Lumurian uh, consciousness or Bigfoot. It, it could be either. But a lot of people believe that there's something spiritual going on yes. there. Kind of like you've said about Sedona. Yes. There are many New Agey events that are held uh, in the Mount Shasta area. Like like the Harmonic Convergence uh, was held uh, in Sedona where people will all get together and meditate and try to shift the consciousness of the of the planet. Okay. But there are so many things besides that going on. UFO sightings. Constantly, there are UFO sightings. In fact, it wasn't too far from Mount Shasta that the very first reported UFO sighting um, by a commercial pilot took place. In 1947, commercial pilot Kenneth Arnold said he saw nine flying discs uh, flying across uh, Washington State at about 1,200 miles per hour. And he described them as skipping across the water like saucers. And that's where we get the term flying saucer from. Oh, who skips saucers? Is that a thing that people do? I've never skipped a saucer. I threw an entire set of 
ping irons in a pond once. <laughs> Not proud of that moment. Anyway, uh, UFO sightings. For example, in 1976, a group a group of hikers were camping Mount Shasta. They Shasta. reported a, a mesmerizing UFO encounter. Late at night, they were gathered around the campfire, and a brilliant glowing disc-shaped object suddenly appeared in the night sky right above the mountain. It emitted an otherworldly pulsating light, and it cast a an eerie glow over the surrounding landscape. And the witnesses described the object as hovering silently, defying laws of conventional aircraft. It remained in the sky for an extended period of time, and then it performed intricate maneuvers that no human-made craft could possibly replicate. Okay. I have another question. I'm so sorry. I'm chock-a-block of questions today. Is there a place where you can see a map of all of the UFO sightings? I'm sure there is. You mean, you mean globally? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's There's got to be. I've not seen it myself, but I'm sure MUFON has it or somebody does. What's MUFON? The Mutual UFO Network. Okay. And according to Wikipedia, it's a uh, U.S.-based nonprofit organization uh, composed of civilian volunteers who study reported UFO sightings. So okay. if anyone has it, they would probably have it. I mentioned Bigfoot sightings. There are a lot of Bigfoot sightings in this area. There's psychic phenomena. Some say that while they have meditated on Mount Shasta, that they have received messages from higher spiritual entities. Some say Lumurians. Some say alien life form. Okay. For example, in 2015, a guy, a hiker named David, embarked on a, on a personal quest to climb Mount Shasta. He was going through uh, some difficult things in his life, a lot of big upheaval and, and mm -hmm. changes. As he climbed the mountain, he started feeling some strange, unusual sensation. The very air around him he described as seemingly to have changed to an otherworldly presence. Altitude sickness, yeah. So he sits down to meditate. He closes his eyes and he focuses on his inner thoughts. And then he heard what he described as a gentle whisper in his mind. And the voice conveyed a message of reassurance and guidance, urging him to embrace the change and trust in the journey of life. And there are many examples of this. And in the overwhelming message, the, the underlying theme to all of the messages basically is we're all okay. We're all part of the same thing. And we all need to love each other. So Lumurians sound pretty chill. Oh, they're very chill. Yeah. Yeah. Ever been to a Lumurian barbecue? No. Well, they're very hard to find because they're invisible. But once you get there, they're very chill. <laughs> there have been tons of mysterious disappearances. Uh, of course, that can happen in any wilderness area. But there are very many uh, that have no explanation, kind of like Dyatlov Pass kind of stuff. You oh. know? Many say that uh, the area is full of energy vortexes, that, that the mountain lies on uh, ley lines that heighten spiritual and metaphysical experiences. There are haunted spots there. In one area within the dense forest of Mount Shasta, there's a, a long abandoned lodge that was originally um, for nature lovers. Mm -hmm. You could hike in and stay there, but it's it's been abandoned for decades. A group of friends ventured into the lodge one night. This was not too many years ago. They had flashlights and a sense of adventure. And as they ascended the staircase, which was pretty dilapidated, they said, Immediately, the air got much, much colder. And as they stood at the top of the stairway with their flashlights, they saw a man standing, a shadowy figure, dark and, and, and indistinct, lurking at the end of the corridor. Lurking? 
lurking. And as they froze in terror, they watched this figure not walk, not run, but glide toward them at a rapid pace. Yeah. As they ran outside, they claimed that even as they got a great distance away from this abandoned lodge, they could still hear whispers in the wind, like words that they could almost, but not quite make out. I feel like William Shatner has something to say about this. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. So what the hell is going on at Mount Shasta? It's a fair question. Something has for many, many centuries, if native people's stories are true. Some people suggest that Mount Shasta might serve as some sort of cosmic nexus, a place where realms converge and interact. Uh, In this view, the native legends, the Lemurian lore, UFO sightings, and Bigfoot encounters could all be threads in the fabric of an intricate intricate multi-dimensional reality that we just don't have the capabilities of perceiving it for what it really is. But here's the thought I had, and I'm pretty certain I'm not the first person to think this. Mount Shasta, of course, a natural formation, but does it possess the same remarkable ability to channel energies that uh, some theorists say ancient pyramids in Egypt do? Oh. Because the pyramids of Egypt, particularly the Great Pyramid of Giza, have long been regarded as architectural wonders that have somehow harnessed or focused cosmic energies for various purposes. Some theories even suggest that the pyramids were built with a deep understanding of sacred geometry and cosmic alignment, allowing them to tap into and channel the Earth's energies. And it is true that uh, they are along the uh, some of these magnetic ley lines, like Stonehenge. So what you're saying like is... Like Mount Shasta. Shasta. So what you're saying is that pyramids were built to mirror the natural design. It could be. And, okay, I see what you're saying. Mount Shasta, with its towering presence and unique geographical makeup, could possess a similar ability to act as an energy conduit as well. Could it be that the mountain's natural features, such as its volcanic core its mineral-rich soils, the fact that it's on a magnetic ley line, uh, interact with the Earth's magnetic field in a way that channels and amplifies subtle energies. Could Mount Shasta and its reputation as a hotspot for spiritual retreats and metaphysical experiences be the result of its innate energy channeling properties? Those who meditate or seek spiritual enlightenment on its slopes might unknowingly be tapping into these natural energies, which amplifies their spiritual experiences and abilities, which some people think that perhaps that was the reason, among other things, the pyramids were constructed. Is that possible? Well, I think ancient alien theorists would agree with me when I say yes. (laughs) Hashtag A-A-T-S-Y. For further information, here's some sources for you. Mount Shasta, California's Mystic Mountain by Catherine H. Jordan. Mount Shasta's Forgotten History and Legends by Arthur W. Lloyd. And there's a couple of websites you can check out. Mount Shasta Herald. They're a local newspaper that covers stories related to the legends of Mount Shasta, but they have a website. Mount Shasta Mysteries and Lemurian Connection. Well, that was really interesting. Something's going on up there, bub. Them Lemurians, they're lurking. 
Just want to take a quick moment before we wrap up and thank those of you who have sent us topic suggestions because mm. there have been some great ones. And uh, Just today. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, we use a lot of them um, and, and we try to acknowledge it as much as we can. If you've got a topic that you'd like us to look up, do some reading about, maybe chit chat about here on the podcast, let us know. Curator at theboxofoddities.com. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. You beautiful freak. And you are beautiful. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com on Facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on Twitter at box of oddities and Instagram at box of oddities podcast copyright 2023 all rights reserved say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.